Hello, and welcome to another episode of This is the Greatest Song I've Ever Heard in My Entire Life, a podcast about the music we love and why we love it. I'm Scott in Toronto, and joining me, as always, is Catherine Moore. Catherine, how are you doing? Doing great, Scott. How are you doing? I'm feeling good. We got a big episode today. Our friends Kevin McKenzie of Austin Danger Podcast. Uh, If you saw in your feed last week, we had an episode with them, a little bonus episode from our conversation where we talk about This Is Me dot 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 now colon a love story, the (laughs) J-Lo movie, visual album, whatever you might want to call it. Uh, And now we're back with the full thing. That was such a fun tangent. It's on YouTube if you'd like to watch us talk about it or it's in your podcast feed. Um, And they're such good sports. They love to talk about pop culture like we do. So it was such a fun episode, this episode and the tangent as well. So check them both out. (laughs) Yeah, and I will just apologize. You know, this episode's a little bit long because we, you know, we got two guests. Yeah. There's a lot to talk to, two songs, great great songs. Yeah, so we just, we couldn't stop talking basically. (laughs) So so we'll try to keep this little intro brief, um, but Kath, what have you been listening to? What's going on in your world? Well, just to kind of update folks on my on repeat playlist on Spotify, because I've been, uh, I've been talking about (laughs) the Joe song end of beginning for the last couple weeks. Still my obsession. Still number one, but number two and coming up the charts is one of your girls by Troy Simon. Just just listen to the first three seconds of that song and tell me that it doesn't put you in an excellent mood. So I turn it on like right as I'm done with work for the day and I'm just like zen. Like I'm like, ooh, yeah. Like, like anyway, (laughs) so great music video, great song. That's my newest obsession. I will say though that like you probably had a more interesting musical weekend than I did. So uh, fill us in on what you uh, got to see this weekend. Well, yeah. So this started a couple weeks ago, about two weeks ago. I was watching mm-hmm. Jeopardy as I do. As you do. And a $2,000 clue comes up where the answer was one of our friends, friend of the show, Mitski. Uh, the clue was Miyawaki is the last name of the Your Best American Girl indie rock goddess who goes by <laughs> this single name. Uh, who is Mitski? Who is Mitski? And that was huge. You did know, they get it that right? Was huge. They did. Wow. I love that. Yeah. I love when people know who Mitski is. They're like random people now. <laughs> random <laughs> Japanese players now. <laughs> so I I took a screenshot of that and sent it to her. She was, you know, just about to go on stage for a show. And she also really appreciated it. She was kind of like really pumped about it, which is cool um, because, you know, Jeopardy, it's like, it, it, that's a big milestone. That's a you big know, milestone. Be... A, a New York Times crossword yeah. clue and then... Yeah, a Jeopardy exactly. clue. I, th- I feel like Jeopardy's more because there's fewer clues every day. So, or fewer right, answers right, every right. day. So, But yeah, so then, you know, we just got to talking and chatting and she had uh, a bunch of shows in New York coming up. And so she asked me if I wanted to have her try to get me into one of them. And she was able to give me some guest list tickets for this past Thursday. I went with a friend of the show, Scott Moriarty, the other mm-hmm. Scott. And uh, it was great. I mean, beautiful theater, Beacon Theater. We got there and we were seated right in front of Rolling Stone's Rob Sheffield. Mm. Rob, come on the show. Come on the show, uh, please. <laughs> Dream guest, honestly, after Britney Spanos, who we had last on last Truly, season. I mean, we've been talking about wanting to get Rob since the very beginning. And I would have asked him about it, except he was there with another guy who is clearly also a writer who I probably <laughs> should have recognized but didn't. So I didn't want to be like weird and say, oh, I know who you are, but I'm yeah, sorry, I don't know who your you are. You know? <laughs> but then uh, another group of people came and sat in the row behind us. 
And it was David Byrne. David Byrne. And uh, Damn. David Byrne of the Talking Heads. Um, <laughs> and so much more. And, and so much more. And so uh, in between the sets, I was kind of standing and we made eye contact and he could kind of tell that I was like <laughs> trying to find an in, you know. So he, he introduced himself and we talked. And I told him that I was a big fan of his song from the Sack Lunch Bunch. If you have seen, you know, the John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch Netflix Which most special. people probably have, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I I hope so. They should. It's great. Um, but he he seemed um, very uh, amused or befuddled that that was the thing that I mentioned. Yeah, I I wonder how many times somebody's walked up to David Byrne and mentioned his song in the Sack Lunch Bunch. Like, I wonder if you're the only person that's ever done that before. And yeah. I just I think that's amazing. I, he was so amused by it. Yeah, he was he was a good sport about it. And then you know we were sitting there during the concert and he seemed like he was having a great time. Yeah. He was laughing and clapping and, you know, he seemed really into it. So it was, yeah, cool. I probably wanted to be up on that stage, just dancing around with Mitski. That sounds like fun. Well, yeah, you know, as we were leaving, I heard, I think it was like a dad and his daughter who went and the dad was talking like, Oh, you know, she really feels like an incarnation of David Byrne or whatever, or something oh like that. Oh my gosh. You know? That's so cool. And so I turned around and I was like, you know, he was here. He was sat right <laughs> behind me. <laughs> oh, I bet you made yeah. that dad and daughter's night. Um, also, how was the <laughs> concert? How was Mitski? Oh, it was incredible. I mean, this, you know, I've seen her a bunch, obviously, like in in various different states. Yeah. And this was like, she's really gotten to another level in terms of her like confidence and, mm-hmm. and swagger on stage and just comfort on stage, yeah. you know? So she had great banter with the audience and just felt so natural up there. And yeah. it was great. And she had like a bigger band with her and she does these sort of, you know, Nashville country-ish arrangements of yeah. lo- a lot of the older songs. Um, like in particular, I really liked... She did the song Happy from Puberty 2, mm-hmm. um, but it was this like Zydeco version and there was an accordion and like it was, yeah, it was oh, awesome. Oh, that's amazing. Really cool. I love when like uh, an artist has such a breadth of a back catalog that they can kind of like iterate on that and like bring it to life in a different way. I think that's such a cool way of doing these things, especially now that she's in more of an era with her album that's a little bit more country like that sort of thing i think that's awesome yeah yeah so it was nice but look i know that we've got a big interview to get to so kath tell us who are we talking to what's going on without further ado let's get into it so uh we had our friends from the austin danger podcast on and uh kev and mckenzie were lovely enough to join us and talk about two amazing song picks so we'll get right into it All right. Well, Kevin McKenzie, thank you so much for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having us. The pleasure is all ours. Thanks. Very, very excited. (laughs) I want to start by talking just a little bit about what Austin Danger Podcast is for those who have not listened. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about ADP? Well, we're like any good old-fashioned homemade movie discussion podcast, except... (laughs) That we are a randomly curated show centered around the work of the people who worked on the Austin Powers trilogy, which seems like it would be a limited net. (laughs) 
<laughs> but really, our discussions have ranged from like our, our first random episode was Cabaret with Liza Minnelli and Michael York, Basil Exposition. Mm. Um, we've done right. current yes. movies. We've we did Avatar two when that came out. We did Elvis. the The amount of movies that link to Austin Powers is just um, exhausting. Right. Yeah, exhausting. Six degrees of separation. You're talking about as small as like the trumpet player on the score. Or as big as yes, (laughs) right. Or as big as like an actor being shared in the Mm -hmm. films. That's a great any connection. I would love to ask why Austin Powers. Like, is it a favorite? Like, (laughs) or just is it rife with a lot of different people you can work? Like, what is what is it about Austin Powers? It connects us. (laughs) I had been doing a show with my buddy Jared, and we did Austin Powers there, so it was in my Mm -hmm. mind. And Mackenzie and I were in a Dungeons and Dragons game from the movie podcast community where we went Scott. Whoa. Um, check the show right. notes for the chart of all this, <laughs> yeah, by the way. I need, yeah. I need a visual. <laughs> <laughs> this trail. We were joking about Avatar for some reason. So I was in another window <laughs> going like, well, this person worked on Avatar and then they worked on this. And then somehow, because Austin Powers was still in my mind, it became Austin Powers. Mm. And then, okay. like, right. that was hour two. Then hour three of the session, it was like, we should start a podcast. That was Sunday night. <laughs> then Monday, we had the name. Tuesday, Mackenzie had the art. And then by Thursday, we had done the trailer. And that was two years ago last <laughs> month. Wow. That is a very impressive or yeah. quick origin story, too. <laughs> like, there is no way that... The podcast could even exist if it was not done in that very manic right. way. Right, you had to you had to do it; otherwise, it was yeah. never going to get done. And I should say, the idea of like connecting to a certain film franchise came from uh, the podcast now known as Escape Hatch, but they originally were called Dune Pod, and their whole shtick was like. In That's preparation right. for the new Dune movies, we're going to watch oh. everything connected to Dune. So Kev and I were like, what if in anticipation for Austin Powers 4, which is a movie that will never exist, we watch <laughs> everything connected to Austin Powers. So it was that was also kind of the joke was like mm, we were got it. playfully ribbing our friends over at Dune Pod, now known as Escape Hatch, being like, we're going to make the stoner comedy version of their podcast. <laughs> that's right. That is also kind of why we were like, it has to be connected to Austin Powers. So that's kind of where the inception of that idea was. We were literally just making a joke about our friend's podcast. And yeah. now we are two years deep into a bit. So we've just committed to the bit so deeply <laughs> that like this is where we're at now. I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, yeah, the Austin Powers of it all is kind of what I wanted to talk about. A common theme that comes up in your discussions on your show is like the lack of monoculture nowadays. And and because Austin Powers was this huge monocultural event and a lot of the movies you talk about are from that time where we have more of this, you know, culture that everyone is consuming whereas now Mm -hmm. everything is so fractured and individualized and in a lot of ways it's great because it allows for more unique and niche things to find their audiences but it also you know makes us feel a little less connected maybe Um, and I'm curious what you guys think about in terms of music how you see that lack of monoculture now Uh, the way you talk about it with film on your podcast. I feel like I have a nostalgia for it because of course I do. Like we grew up where everyone was kind of listening to the same thing and everyone was watching the same movies. And like, I think there are obviously exceptions. Like I don't, I mean, this might get me arrested for crimes on this podcast, but I don't personally listen to Taylor Swift, but she is someone I would probably call like, 
it's close to monoculture as yeah. we, it get her Beyonce. Like there's exceptions to the rules of like artists who generally a large percentage of the world are listening to. But then there's people like me who like, I'm not really engaging in Taylor Swift specifically. And like, yeah, I don't know. It's like, there's, there's nostalgia, I guess I have for this time, even with television, Kevin, and I talk about it all the time, like 10 million people would sit and watch an episode of desperate housewives every week. And, and like, you cannot imagine that world anymore. And I guess it's um something that I think our world lacks is community. Like I just generally like a worldwide community. I think we just lack. And I think that, what's beautiful about things like music and film and TV is that we find our communities, right? Like I'm like, I love St. Vincent. So I'm going to find community with the people who love St. Vincent, but it's, it is different right now. Now it's more, I feel like less about monoculture and more about finding niche communities, mm-hmm. which is, you know, how I met Kev, how I met Sky it was through these, the, a niche film community. And so I don't know. I'm torn because I love that. Like now, if you have a specific interest, like you could be like, I'm a huge fan of this random episode of Star Trek from 1975. And like, you will find people that are also obsessed with that with you. Yeah. But I do miss days in which it felt like we were all having a cultural conversation and building a worldwide or at least countrywide community around something. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it's a double-edged sword. I think that like there's, especially with the internet, so much opportunity for community, but also I hate how split it feels. Sometimes it can feel a bit lonely, I guess. Well, yeah, it's like, you know, watching the Grammys, my roommate, who's admittedly not like a huge music person, but still was like, I've never heard any of these songs. And these are the songs that are apparently the best of the year you know or like you watch the dj earworm mashups mm-hmm. at the end of the year now and it's like i don't know these songs because <laughs> they're not they don't have the same cultural footprint anymore because you know it's maybe elevated for us who live here in new york city like i'm not driving a car so i would never listen to the radio really but i feel like even people who are driving cars like you're listening to your own playlists or a satellite radio station or something mm-hmm. more curated I never like listen to the radio yeah yeah so. never yeah. So, yeah, I don't know anything about new music. I'm so self-conscious about it. Like, I'm finally listening to the Chapel Rowan album, and that's, like, the newest <laughs> yeah. music I've listened to in three years. Like, yeah. I, Past guests. Yeah. Past guests on our show. Well, okay, so let's step back, though, because I do want to hear a little bit about your own personal relationships to music. Are there things that you recall growing up that first made a really big impression on you? Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, it was my parents' CD collection, which they had maybe three CDs, and it was Goodbye Yellowbrook Road, disc one only by Elton John. (laughs) (laughs) And then The Dance, the live Fleetwood Mac album, shout out to Slim from Letterboxd. Nice. Which is an incredible Mm -hmm. album Mm -hmm. to listen to as a child and not know what it is or what any of the people (laughs) are doing. What's going on? (laughs) No context is an incredible way to come into The Dance. You know, I joked with my, a colleague of mine a couple of weeks ago is that all the new music I listen to is the show tunes that are on stage in a given season. Right. Because I just like that's the music that I engage with the most. It's super easy to just shut your kitchen window to stuff these days, as we've been talking right. about throughout this whole thing. I had not heard an Olivia Rodrigo song until this year. This year? Yeah. Because it's just so easy for me to just skip and go away. Yeah. I do want to talk about the theater stuff more because I know that's something that you guys share. Um, But yeah, Mackenzie, were there things for you that first really made a big impression? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, the big one most people associate with me is Cher. Um, when I was little, my grandmother was obsessed with Cher. And wow. I have all these memories of Cher's book called The First Time, which I have on my bookshelf over here, was on my grandma's bedside table. And I would just flip <laughs> through it and pretend to read about Cher's life. And I watched the Stanley and Cher show uh, a lot on VHS. And it was Wouldn't Believe was the biggest song yeah. in the world for a hot second. And we had that album in my grandma's car and I always wanted it on. So Cher was like the first artist I think I ever loved. And I faded out of that. And then when my grandmother died, when I was 18, I reconnected with my love of Cher. And I got to, I've seen her live twice wow. now. Wow. <laughs> but the first song I remember being obsessed with was the bus stop. I told Rachel I was going to say this, but I'm feeling honest tonight. <laughs> the bus stop remix of Kung Fu Fighting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which live your truth. Like rap, like the hip hop version of Kung Fu Fighting. Because I was obsessed with the film Bowfinger as yeah. a child. And uh, at the end of that film, there's a sequence where Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy uh, pretend to do Kung Fu to that song. And I was obsessed. But then that made me be like mom, I want more songs like this. Will you burn me a CD? <laughs> and my mother was like, okay, it's kind of disco-y because the original Kung Fu Fighting is disco. So I was really into disco as a kid. So I loved Gloria Gaynor and uh, early Michael Jackson. And like my mom would just burn me disco CDs. <laughs> I would listen to them constantly. Um, my mom is gay and I grew up around gay people. So I listened to a lot of like Pink. <laughs> Pink was very popular with my mom and her friends. Uh, but also I had fish named Judy and Liza. Like I had a lot of very queer influences on my music as a child. I mean, Cher is also a huge example of, I think, gay music yeah. that I was obsessed with. So yeah. Uh, and I think that that makes a lot of my current taste in music and in high school when my taste really formed. Like a lot of that makes sense when you think about those. I yeah. Think. Awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, I know you both and myself as well are all big theater people. Uh, and you talk about that a lot on mm -hmm. Awesome Danger Podcasts. I'm just kind of curious to know your journey with musical theater and getting into that and, and why and, and what you still love and what you're listening to and all that kind of stuff. So for me, it was so weird. I remember this exactly. It was the cast of your good man, Charlie Brown, mm. performing on the Rosie O'Donnell show Yep, on oh, wow. uh, TV 55. So not the ABC <laughs> airing, but the afternoon rerun. <laughs> Um, I would watch every single day and it was my exposure to like this really fascinating and weird time, 1999 through like 2001 in the American theater where like, uh, cats and Miss Saigon and all these big British shows were closing and like, uh, Susicle happened and Rosie just went and did Susicle, yeah. which blew my <laughs> mind. And that was a Christmas gift that went unanswered. Uh, that was a letter that got lost in the mail on the way to Santa it was Rosie and Susicle. <laughs> And then I've always loved it throughout junior high school. It was my uh, Christmas or birthday gift every year was to see a show. Um, the Michael Cerveris Sweeney Todd, mm. where Patti Lapone played the tuba, uh, changed my life <laughs> yeah. completely. My dad went, he took me completely befuddled, had no idea what was going on. And it was just <laughs> a really beautiful moment. And from there, I faded away. It's just an interest that left my mind. I focused elsewhere. I went to journalism school and I'm bummed around. And then... Um, my dad got sick and was in Sloan Kettering for like a year. And then I'm starting to go to the theater again. And I saw Phantom and I, the Great Comet of 1812. I went like four times. And then uh, the next year I moved here and the rest is history. I'm still going to shows. I think tomorrow night I'm going to something. Nice. Nice. And, um, <laughs> That's awesome. It's my, it's my favorite thing in the world. I don't know. Yeah. I'm very, very blessed. Yeah. I, I'm thinking back because I consider my like obsession with musical theater to be Hairspray, right. the film Hairspray from 2007. Yeah. Saw that and it like changed my whole 
brain chemistry saying hairspray. Um, but I'm thinking back when I was little, I remember distinctly because I live, I mentioned my grandmother already, but there was a time in which my great grandmother, my grandmother, my mom, and I all lived together. Uh, and my great grandmother was like definitely on oxygen and should not have left the house. And she was like, we're going to go see Chicago. And I was like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> so like she snuck me out of the house and we went to go see Chicago and I was like six, uh, which is, I think one of the greatest movies ever made. And Kevin, and I have talked about it on ADP. Um, so I remember liking that when I was little, but I was six. I don't think I understood what I was watching. Uh, and I think we also went to see Phantom of the Opera for, uh, my mom also was obsessed with Moulin Rouge, which I think will come yeah. up later. Like I definitely like loved these kind of movie musicals and that renaissance, as I call it, that happened in the early aughts. But yeah, Hairspray like changed my brain chemistry. I remember distinctly I saw it and I, I just couldn't even believe like how mind blown I was. And like the next day, my mom and I were shopping at the mall and she was in Torrid and they had the soundtrack there because they were kind of doing like promo at Torrid, I guess. And I begged my mother. I was on my knees. I was like, buy me this CD. I swear to God, I will do anything for the rest of my life. And uh, after that, I would, pl- I would play the CD on my boombox in my bedroom before school. And I would read the lyrics yeah. and I would sit there and be like, I have to memorize all of these just in case. I might need these lyrics one day. <laughs> and uh, it toured to Memphis and my grandmother took me to the live show and I-, I cried. I was so happy. And it was that was definitely the day I decided to do theater. I was an actor for quite some time and still love theater a lot went to school for it but from then on yeah my grandmother bought season tickets to the orpheum and so every broadway show that toured my grandma and i went to go see together famously my one of my favorite stories is when we saw shrek the musical a musical she did not want to go see but went to anyway she turns to me during the curtain call as she's dancing and she goes this is better than dream girls which is one of my favorite songs about my grandmother ever uh okay okay nina but yeah, I just it, it was a, a deep love of mine. I think when college hit, I when I realized I wasn't the best singer in the world, I pivoted more to doing plays. So I kind of fell off the musical theater bug. I think in in college, Kev is way more in, like connected. Whenever I see a new musical, I'm like, Kev, is this real? Like, I got to get all my <laughs> musical theater info from Kev now. Um, so it's something I think I need to reconnect with. But it was a huge love of my life and definitely changed the trajectory of my life. Musical theater, yeah. I'm interested in like your guys's opinion on the like trend of not really advertising movies as musicals <laughs> anymore. Like the Mean Girls, Wonka. Wonka, I think was another surprise to some folks. Do y'all have opinions on like maybe why that's being marketed that way? Cats ruined everything. Is my <laughs> is the I mean I mean me and Kev talked about it actually on our episode that as we're recording this came out today, yeah. Minority Report. We were talking about the new Wicked trailer, which has a bit yeah. of singing in it, but also is not necessarily advertising itself as a musical. Right. I, I was telling Kev, like, you know, it seems like Chicago winning Best Picture mm-hmm. was this moment of like, okay, we got to make every movie musical ever. Yeah. Uh, and those are all great. And I love a lot of those movie musicals. I love Mamma Mia. I love Phantom, yeah. even though it's, you know, might be miscast. I, for a long time, loved that Sweeney Todd. Uh, I love Chicago. You know, I love a lot of those movies that came out. But around like 2013, 14, I think the interest began to wane by the time mm-hmm. we read Into the Woods, which is a movie musical no one talks yeah. about. I think the interest was waning and then Cats was like all the nails hit the coffin. The cement was put on top of the coffin. (laughs) It was buried into the center of molten earth. Like no one wants a movie musical after Cats existed. But it reminds me of like how at the Oscars, they're always like the Oscars are always trying to get non-movie people to watch the Oscars. And it's like, why not advertise to movie people? I feel the same way about movie musicals. It's like, not everyone's going to love a movie musical, but some people do. So why not advertise to those people? Yeah, And be really open about it too. I'm I'm frustrated by it. I don't get it. I work in marketing. I don't I, I get why, but I think it's dumb, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but 
how I feel. Kev, I don't know if you feel any differently about that. Uh, the Color Purple just came out on Max, um, mm-hmm. which is a movie whose marketing has been vague. Yeah, that was the other one that was in my mind too, yeah. So my girlfriend is a big fan of the stage version, so we were watching the thing, and she's like, well, that's much, like, the songs that made it over are much shorter. Right. I'm hearing yeah. that, like, new songs were written. Those new songs are about 15 seconds long. Like, and the story is kind of listlessly flowing into these songs. And then in the songs, they're like, let's speed this up so we can get out of here. It's the first movie musical I've ever seen where in the movie, they're like, don't worry, we're going to get back to talking. (laughs) Right. Don't worry. Like, they're afraid to embrace the soul of what I've heard is a pretty damn soulful show. And it's just bizarre. I think another thing about why studios feel afraid is not just because of cats although cats definitely looms large but also like in 2021 there were legitimately really good movie musicals and in the heights and west side story west side story Mm -hmm. spielberg i think is one of like the best films ever made i agree and they they were total flops and like obviously COVID had a lot to do with it but i think also studios are like well, mm-hmm. these movies were good movie musicals and no one went to go see them. So like, uh, I guess we're just done. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah. Anyway, now that we've gone on a huge tangent, I think we got to get back to <laughs> the discussion at hand, <laughs> yeah. which is Kev and Mackenzie. What are the songs that make you scream? This is the greatest song I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah. So there are a lot of these songs for me. A lot of them come from guys who kind of look like Elton John. So I figured why not just go to the root of it and go to Your Song by Elton John. I hope you don't mind, I hope you don't mind that I put down in the words How wonderful life is while you're in the world I think his first masterpiece. Yeah, and, and like first big hit, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, this comes from the 1970 self-titled album, written, of course, Elton John with lyrics by Bernie Taupin. Um, when did you first hear this? Like, what was your entry point to this song? I think somewhere in high school, to be honest. That that was a time, so again, I'd listened to a lot of the Goodbye Elbrick Road album, first half only. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot coming up. But I hadn't really dug into the uh, deeper library until I was in high school. The thing that really puts a fine point on it for me, to be honest, is the use in Rocket Man, uh, which I know sounds very silly. That's a very silly movie in places. No, no, get into it. I just rewatched the Rocket Man scene because you mentioned that you were going to bring it up. I love the beauty. A lot of Rocket Man is like, take a look at how beautiful this is. And I love the beauty of their collaboration mm-hmm. as it's shown in Rocket Man and how it works. Toppin makes it look easy in his kind of beautiful, kind of workmanlike basic lyrics and then elton's written this kind of gorgeous almost in a desperate melody especially at the end in some of the live versions yeah. that just it just total knockout for me and that in the scene it's played that way as well yeah i mean i think this is one like th- this is the case with a lot of the top and lyrics for ellen john songs where they're so kind of conversational and don't follow like a typical sort of lyrical scansion um, in the way that Elton John sets them. And I think this is like the pinnacle of that where it's, it's very conversational. He like stops midway through to like, say he forgot something. He can't remember the color of her eyes. He's taking things back. He's taking things back. Um, But yeah, I think it like, 
that like dissonance, not like musical dissonance, but like uh, lyrical philosophical dissonance, I think is always really interesting in their songs because it makes it almost like feel more emotionally honest that it's not this like polished, perfectly structured sonnet or whatever. It's like this kind of mess of a love song. Mm-hmm. I hope you don't mind. I hope you don't mind. Yeah. My, uh, of course, first introduction to this was Moulin Rouge. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched that scene as well, and I think that really holds up. The arrangement is great. Everything about that film is so over the top in such a great way. It's been so long. I gotta. I might watch it right after this. Uh, um, <laughs> Ewan, I swear, what a dreamboat! Like I, I, my mom was obsessed with that movie and Baz movies just generally when I was a kid. So when I first heard Elton John singing your song, I was like, "What, what is the this? hell is this?" Yeah. Like I was so <laughs> mad. I was like, "This isn't Ewan," because he Ewan is like a good bad singer to me like he has like i think he can carry a tune but like the way he sings is so strange yeah Uh, and i was just so used to it on your song that when i first heard elton doing it i was very like angsty i was like seven years old like i don't like this um (laughs) but a fool i was because elton john is one of the greatest singers of all time but yeah moulin rouge beautiful use of that song can i get a little nerdy on a music theory thing about this song do it I don't do it that often on this podcast, but so the song is in D major and like one kind of normal thing that might happen is like you sort of walk down from D and then go down to like a C sharp, but it's really like an A chord, but with C sharp or the bass and then like a B minor and like that, that's sort of like a normal thing. Maybe go to an E minor and then a back to D, but the chorus just starts on the C sharp. So it's starting like not on the D not on the tonic. And actually we never go to a D chord in the entire chorus. It's just sort of floating around with like the C sharp and then a B minor E and then G, but then we don't go back to the D. We just go right back to that C sharp in the bass. Uh, And I think that's just cool. I don't know. Maybe that's not interesting. Yeah. It, it goes back to like the, not dissonance again melodically but yeah. like the unsettledness or whatever you want to yeah, say yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah unresolved is a yeah musical term too but yeah that i think that makes sense to underpin the you know lyricism of that too that's cool yeah all right well Mackenzie, what about you what is the song that makes you scream this is the greatest song i've ever heard in my entire life the song i chose for today is cloud busting by kate bush Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I, I I went that's not a deep cut. Like I think this is a song people know, but it's not mm-hmm. running up that hill. So I was like, <laughs> I'm being cool. Um I got really into Kate Bush. I feel like high school and probably a lot of people identify with this is where my music taste began to develop. Like I was kind of just listening to my mom's stuff. But then in high school, I started getting into Bowie and Madonna and Gaga was a huge influence on me um after her paparazzi vma's performance i was like i'm mm-hmm. locked in of course, she is yep. the greatest artist of my life and i'm obsessed with her so i was really experimenting with her influences so that's where i was getting more into elton and more into bowie and madonna and 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 then kate bush kind of got circled into that because um my best friend's english teacher played kate bush's weathering heights for oh, the class cool and oh, yeah. of course everyone was like what a weird song she's singing so high-pitched and it sounds bad this is stupid and my friend played it for me and was like isn't this song so weird and i was like oh god she sounds crazy i hate this song but i went home and was like i can't stop thinking about this song. <laughs> like what's what is up with this creepy little woman that i can't stop thinking about so i started listening to wuthering heights 
over and over and over again until I loved it. I was like, this is one of the greatest songs I've ever heard in my life. And I naturally found my way to Hounds of Love, which I think is one of the greatest albums ever. Uh, The big Mm -hmm. song from that is obviously Running Up That Hill. That was a life-changing song to hear. I mean, I had just never heard music be made like Running Up That Hill. You put your headphones in and you just blast that and you feel like you are literally just floating into the sky. It's just crazy. I actually love that Elton and Kate, I think, are two artists that play with violins and strings and this very romantic music that I love. So like, I love Elton and Kate for that reason. And I chose Cloud Busting because... You know, obviously, running up that hill had its moment when it got revitalized by Stranger Things, and I mm-hmm. did feel like I couldn't say it, but I was like, I was there for, I was there. <laughs> I knew this <laughs> so long ago. We knew this. I didn't know I wasn't like the OG Kate Bush fan, but um, because I'm sure when I was discovering it in high school, some person was like, yeah, this has been around for 30 years. Ago. <laughs> but Cloud Busting was the song that I always just drew me in. I don't know. I think it is hypnotic. I love that. Mm-hmm. Boom like that kind of those weird like low strings that pulse into the chorus like i think it's so beautiful and hypnotic it was used in a film i love i actually saw on your um letterbox you watched palm springs it was used in palm springs which is a movie my my fiance is obsessed with there's a poster somewhere in my room behind me (laughs) right there and that got me listening to cloud busting more but i also am sitting here feeling like a jackass because i always thought the first line was i still dream of all the noise i have thought that for 10 years and now i'm looking (laughs) at the lyric is i still dream of org Organon? I don't even know what that is. So I'm yeah, that... like, am I a fake fan? Because I don't even know the opening line of this song <laughs> that I love because I've always thought it's I still dream of all the noise, which I thought was a beautiful line. And now I'm questioning my whole life. But anyway, <laughs> I love this song. Yeah, I was on the Wikipedia and it's inspired by a memoir about a psychiatrist and philosopher and his young son told from the point of his young son, like when he grew up. And they have a family farm called Organon or Organon. So it's kind of like looking back at that and based on this like real life man, I guess, Peter Eich. So that, yeah, she is the weirdest person ever. I yeah. mean, <laughs> I know. <laughs> wow. I, know. <laughs> I, I now I'm like feeling like a fake fan because I'm like, I had no idea this was based. I just the song just kind of always, I don't know, pulls me in and I never really dug deeper into it, which is wild. Yeah, no, I think that's like the nice thing about like this music that was like you can kind of interpret it that way too. And it's it's like mm-hmm. not taking anything away from your experience necessarily. Yeah. Especially with Kate Bush's stuff because it's so abstract and poetic and her voice is so like acrobatic. Yeah, sometimes I'm just like not processing any of the words <laughs> that <Yeah>. are being <laughs> said. Um, but it's also cool for her to like take this memoir about a son with his like scientist psychiatrist dad and then write this song about a more relatable thing of like how we all feel about our parents getting older and and having flaws and sort of reconciling our feelings with how we perceive them as these like superhumans when we're children and then realizing like they're not and in this case the the father goes to jail and and he's sort of like grappling with that understanding of his father being a real person and you know yeah. that's something relatable so I love that she doesn't isn't an artist that feels like she has to write from her own point of view like I think that that's unique to her because I feel like what makes a lot of artists great is because they're writing from their own honesty you know like I said listening to a lot of Chapel Rowan and that's so clearly like her voice and her experience 
I think of This Woman's Work, which is another, I think, brilliant song that was covered by Maxwell famously. That was written for a Kevin Bacon movie from the point of view of Kevin Bacon watching his wife almost die in childbirth. Like she puts herself in these shoes. Like she's like, okay, what would it feel like to be a man watching his wife almost die? What would it feel like to be the son of this physicist, you know, who was making these cloud busting mm-hmm. machines? Like, and even in Withering Heights, she's writing from the point of view of Kathy, a very famous literary figure. I just love her abstraction. She's so theatrical to me to connect it, I guess, to theater. I love that she's willing to put herself in other shoes and I think make some of the most beautiful music in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully put. Well, Kev and Mackenzie, thank you so much for joining us. If people would like to follow you and, and follow ADP, where should they go? I think we're everywhere at Austin Danger Pod. Something like that. Search Austin Danger Podcast on your thing. There's a Threads account <laughs> that I opened when that started. We have a Threads um, too. We're on Instagram a lot. I'm on Insta. We're over there being right. silly. I would say the places to look for us are Instagram and Letterboxd, most active. I'm Kev on Letterboxd, K-E-V. That's it. I'm Mackenzie Wilkes on Letterboxd. And then, of course, Austin Danger Podcast is available every Monday from your podcatcher of choice. Uh, It seems like this year we're randomly alternating between the greatest movie of all time and the death of cinema will we ever laugh again. Um, Our movies this year have included Aliens and Minority Report, as well as Rob Reiner's North. And as we're recording this, our next episode is Wild Wild West with Will Smith, which I watched last night. And uh, will we ever laugh again? Uh, You can find out every Monday on Austin Pod. Which bucket did Freaky Friday fall into for you? I'm very curious. Greatest. I love Freaky Friday. Closer to the former than the latter, yeah. Just checking, just checking. Speaking of good music, I mean, come on. (laughs) Freaky Friday? Literally. All right, well, Catherine, two big songs, Elton John, Kate Bush, up on the board, first time <laughs> picks. Uh, what, what did you think? I'm so thrilled we have Kate and Elton on our guest song pick list now. <laughs> I did not know about cloudbusting before Mackenzie picked it, so I was really interested in listening to a little bit more of Kate Bush's music, including that song um, before the show. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I know and love your song, and Elton, is that's such a classic, so... Really glad to have it up on the board and love talking to Kevin McKenzie on those two songs. What'd you think? Yeah, I mean, yeah, this this was great. They're so fun. I'm glad we got them on. I truly did. As soon as we stopped recording, I watched (laughs) Moulin Rouge and it absolutely held up. I mean, this is a film I saw probably 50 times Mm -hmm. in middle school and high school. It's just like part of my bones. Yeah. But I haven't seen it since then. And, you know, it's always tough to revisit those things because you don't know, like, How much is, you know, nostalgia going to help me out or or am I going to like feel embarrassed about this? Yeah. No. Yeah. This movie <laughs> rocks. It is so my shit. Yeah. And I think it's so incredibly crafted. And for how ridiculous it is, it's also extremely tightly composed and like Mm -hmm. the script is so airtight even though it sounds crazy because it's so excessive in so many ways yeah but i think it's really sturdy and you know what everyone should go watch yeah (laughs) i feel like that needs to go back on my list i'm pretty sure i've only ever seen it one time when it came out so i really need to get with the program there and watch it um so maybe that'll go on my list for this upcoming again but yeah 
Yeah, that and the J-Lo movie. That and the J-Lo movie <laughs> on my watch list for this weekend. Um, so if people would like to follow us, you can find us on uh, TikTok, uh, Instagram, and Twitter at Great Song Pod, GR number eight song pod. We are on YouTube at the same Great Song Pod, and uh, you can see our YouTube clip of the conversation we had about the J-Lo film that Scott referenced before um, with Kevin McKenzie, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah. If people like that format, let us know. Um, we'd love to do more things like that in the future. And if you'd like to send us a note, uh, our email address is greatsongpod, G-R number eight, songpod at gmail.com. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Catherine, for helping me do these episodes. Big shout out to Skylar Spence, whose song Kratos and Love is our theme music, to Roger for the podcast art, to Izzy with help for mixing, and most importantly, to you, the listener, for listening. Thanks so much, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.